My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. And uh, if you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8. Uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, I doubt seriously we'll finish today, but there's pretty good odds we might finish Mark chapter 8 next week. So uh, grab your Bibles here in Mark chapter 8. Uh, as we get there, I'll just remind you of a couple of things. This is week 76 of our series in Mark, uh, and we are almost halfway through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, somebody mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that we're, we're moving through Mark about as fast as the disciples themselves did in real time. So uh, if this feels slow, welcome to the club. Uh, and if you're new to joining us, uh, I would encourage you to go to OurSundaySchool.com and you can grab the handout for today's lesson. Uh, it'll be right there on the front page. You don't have to click anywhere else. And today's handout is intended to cover this week as well as next week. So for uh, those of you that want to conserve a little on paper, you can just print it once and it should be good for this week and Lord willing for next week as well. So that's OurSundaySchool.com. So we want to ask our question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? And uh, I, I like to just let this question sit and linger with us. Uh, and I bring it up every single week because I think it's important that we be reminded that this is not an academic intellectual exercise. We, we might take an academic approach to studying the text because the text can be studied that way. Uh, but we always want to make sure that, that we are studying Scripture to know God and to serve Him well, uh, to respond accordingly to what He has initiated in our lives. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're asking the question, what is God uh, doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? So if you want to think about that, uh, that answer uh, that you might be thinking of for that question, feel free to type it in the comments. And uh, I'll greet some folks as we are getting started this morning. So good morning, Barry, and uh, good afternoon, Vicki, for when you listen to this later today. Uh, hey, Miss Barber, uh, we've got uh, the Gregs from North Carolina. Hey, guys, welcome to all my other friends from North Carolina. Uh, so encouraging to have you guys with us. We appreciate uh, you allowing me to, uh, to serve you in this way. Uh, I really do. It's an honor to be able to do this for you guys. Uh, my wife is on this morning, so hello, Julie, and uh, Caleb as well. So the Barbers and the Harpers, are you guys together? That'd be fantastic. Cool. Uh, and then the McGarveys and Brittany's here. Hey, Brittany, good morning. Uh, the Millers are here. The Johnsons are here. Brian Willard's here. Hey, good morning. The Ericsons are here and the Arnold's here. Fantastic. Good to see you guys this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to being able to see you in person, uh, but just a, a a moment on that. So two things I'll talk about and then we'll jump into Mark. Uh, we'll read through Mark chapter 8. So a couple of you have probably noticed that uh, the background looks a little bit different today. We're experimenting with some different locations. So feel free to give me feedback on this. Uh, I have found that some folks find the library to be very, very distracting with all the other stuff going on. So I'm trying to just take a slightly different approach this morning. Uh, and then uh, I have forgotten what the other thing was. So that's okay. Uh, yes, Barry, it is very possible that the connection is lagging this morning. Uh, there's some challenges that we're running into with uh, streaming this morning on Facebook specifically. 
but for those of you that are having any trouble this morning, uh, please just know that uh, this will be available on YouTube and the YouTube recording should be near flawless uh, because it's coming straight off of the devices that I'm using to record. It's not having to go through the internet to be live streamed. Um, one of the things that you might find in the next, you probably found in the last month, two months or so, is that so many churches have gone to live streaming uh, that they're actually beginning to overload Facebook's servers. Uh, there's so much gospel being preached that Facebook actually can't handle it all, uh, which I think is pretty amazing and also just another technical challenge that we'll work through and try to figure it out. So Mark chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, we'll read through uh, Mark chapter 8. Hey, Miss Colleen, good to have you this morning. Glad to see you here. Uh, so let's read Mark chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began <clears throat> discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. 
And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, so let's greet some more folks here. Oh, the barbers are in Jackson. All right, well, fantastic. Hello from the other side of the state. So we've got folks from West Tennessee. We've got folks from North Carolina. My goodness, the Internet is an amazing thing. So good morning to the Landers. Uh, the regathering in August. Yes, thank you, Mitch. I uh, appreciate that. So uh, you may have seen the email that came out from the church office on Thursday, Friday of this week, this last week, and uh, talked about Sunday schools would be regathering in person in a couple of weeks. I think two weeks from now. Uh, and let me let me kind of translate that for you because it it uh, to quote Brian, uh, don't hear what I'm not saying and don't hear what the church is say, is not saying. The church is not saying that every single adult Sunday school class will be back in person on that day. It, it would be quite impossible for us to safely social distance in some of the very small Sunday school classrooms. It just is not going to be possible. Uh, I talked to Daryl yesterday and he mentioned uh, the concept of having uh, groups of Sunday school classes meet in the larger rooms. And what we talked about for our Sunday school since uh, I am high risk for COVID-19 and my son is high risk for COVID-19, is that we would continue to stream uh, our Sunday school online and perhaps have an environment so that that could be streamed into the multi-purpose room, into our normal classroom when we meet together in person uh, for the purposes of Sunday school. So there, there wouldn't be, uh, I would not be physically there in person, it would just be on a screen, but a bigger screen, which some of you might like and I find more than slightly disturbing, but it is what it is, right? So we're, we'll be looking at trying to figure out how we can provide that. Uh, and we might also invite others to, to join us uh, in person for our Sunday school. Uh, but for, uh, and I, I talked to Daryl last night and I didn't mean to quote Joshua, but I actually said to him, as for me and my house, uh, we will hang back for a bit longer, uh, a bit being defined as likely several more months uh, until these, this thing either begins to slow down uh, or there's some type of a vaccine or something that can help to ensure that, uh, quite frankly, my son is not going to get uh, horribly ill from this. So just FYI on that. Thank you, Mitch, for reminding me about that. This is what happens when I don't jot down things 
uh, at the top of my notes that I want to uh, talk about. All right, so uh, I've got the Samsels, the Archers, and uh, Barry Cole, reset your router. Okay, cool. <laughs> I love the tech support, that's great. So let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter eight this morning. Uh, we are starting in this uh, really last major section uh, as the ESV gives uh, section headers. Uh, this is the section entitled, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. So uh, we have just come off the heels of this uh, giving sight to the blind man uh, in the prior chapter or the one before, giving uh, hearing back to the deaf man, uh, and Jesus is asking the disciples, do you understand? Do you see? Do you hear? Do you understand? And we get, we get to see the master teacher at work. And, and as a teacher, I love taking a look at what Jesus is doing, but the order in which he does it. Because it is, it is very instructive for a teacher to watch a master at work and see we did this, and we did this, and we did this, and we did this to set up this other concept, which I think is just fantastic. So we begin to see Jesus make things very plain today for the apostles. So verse 31, uh, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man. So if you're looking at your handout, I have highlighted all four words, the Son of Man. And if you look at the actual uh, words themselves in the original, uh, so you've got four individual words, uh, the, ho, son, uh, and then the word ho again, exact same word. It's a singular masculine uh, genitive versus an accusative. Um, it still means the, and then the word for man, anthropos. So you, you could translate it, the son, the man, which is super awkward in English. And I, I'm exceedingly grateful for good, helpful translations of the Bible that take a language that's really not even spoken anymore, this Koine Greek, and translate it into the common language that we use today so that we're not stumbling over a word structure or a sentence structure or a uh, word order that is really uh, distracting for an English reader. So it's super grateful for good translation that just translate this the Son of Man. Now, this phrase has popped up uh, several times earlier in the Gospel of Mark. I think Jesus uses it uh, about 14 times in the Gospel of Mark. So we begin to see it used a lot more starting here because, again, Jesus is he's giving them a peek of what's underneath the robe, and it's the who he really is is about to come shining through, <laughs> pun intended, in Mark chapter 9, uh, so the Son of Man, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And I, I just want to pause here for just a moment and make sure that we understand that suffering was part of God's will for Jesus. This wasn't something accidental. This wasn't something that, oh no, we 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 would. Like this has just happened to him, and we have some kind of a pro no no this was this was part of the plan. This was the father's sovereign will for the son to suffer, and that sounds really, really harsh because we as twenty first century Americans do quite frankly about as much as we possibly can to avoid 
any type of suffering. So I want you to stop for just a second, and I want you to look around the room that you are in and just try to find as many, we'll give you 30, 45 seconds to do this, try to find as many things that you can look at that exclusively exist to ease or completely stop suffering. So I'll give you a second to do that. So I'm looking around the room that I'm in, and uh, I am sitting on a cushioned uh, chair, because why would I sit on the chair without a cushion? That's That would, that would hurt, right? Uh, I'm sitting in a room that is air-conditioned to a very comfortable temperature, so I'm not sweating. Uh, it's very hot outside right now, uh, and by the way, it's outside, so why would you go there? Uh, I'm sitting in a room that's uh, fairly well-lit, right? I'm not sitting in the dark. Uh, that, that helps my eyes to be... Uh, comfortable, but I don't have every light turned on, maximum shining in my eyes. Uh, I'm wearing very soft clothes today, right? Because I, I like soft clothes and that's very comfortable. <clears throat> I would just want us to think for a second, very consciously, about how much around us, how we have designed our lives to limit suffering. And Jesus willfully, intentionally, lovingly submitted to the Father's will to go and to suffer for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful act. And Jesus has to walk the disciples through the big picture. So he's going to tell them the Son of Man must suffer. This word must is almost always used in uh, Mark's gospel as prophecy related. This is, these things must occur. This must occur. This must occur. This must occur. Um, there's one in, let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, the, the very last time this is used is uh, another conversation with Peter. In, uh, in 1431, it says, But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, right? Yay, go team, Jesus. And then they all ran, right? It's just, it's awful. Except John. Uh, so I'm, if I must, um, so the Son of Man must suffer. And this, this is, uh, it means exactly what it, it says. Um, and the next time, I'll just give you, if you want, a little bit of ammunition for the prosperity gospel. So this is uh, this, is this uh, heretical uh, butchering of the gospel message that says Jesus wants you to be happy, healthy, and uh, what's the other? Oh, rich. Yeah, because why not? not since we're going for that. Uh, it's the exact opposite of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, by the way. Um, I'm sorry, it's perfectly aligned with those three. And so if, if you want some a little bit of ammunition in your, bullet, in your gun for refuting prosperity theology uh, taught by lots and lots of folks on TV, uh, you can just point them to Mark chapter 8 because Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer. Must suffer. Um, and if we are to emulate our Lord, well, then the prosperity theologians have a real issue at this point because it's wrong. So throw those books away, switch the channel, stop listening to these heretics. It's not helpful. So the Son of Man must suffer many things. 
And this, this word uh, for suffer is used in 526 to describe the physical, and then 931, we believe, obviously, for the physical, and then 912 for the physical. It's a very physically oriented word. Must suffer many things and be uh, rejected. So this is repudiated. Um, the, the, the word I want you to see here is, uh, the verse I want you to see is Mark 12, 10. Mark 12, 10. So back up to verse 9. Uh, yeah, verse 9. Now let's just start at verse 10. This is Jesus talking to um, a crowd here, and he says, Have you not read this scripture that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So he's, he's talking about he is fulfilling prophecy here. He is the one that is rejected. Um, and, and then there's a, there's a very interesting word that is used, hupo is used next at the top of page two, uh, 263 in your handout. That's ridiculous, isn't it? We're 263 pages into a handout. Blows my mind sometimes. Well, it should be somewhere around five or 600 pages by the time we finish Mark's gospel. It's just stunning to me. But um, So the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. And the ESV translated, translates it by... But the word is actually hupo, and it's the word for under. Um, and, and it's, it's, I want you to just get a mental picture of the, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes positioning themselves over Jesus because they assumed that their authority extended and superseded all others. So they saw Jesus as below them. And I, I love the word that Mark uses here is that that Jesus uses to, to describe his suffering. It says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected under the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. So not only did he submit to the Father's will, but submitting to the Father's will meant putting himself in a position to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. So think about the last time that you willingly allowed yourself to be rejected by someone with less power or authority than you have. Like that's a that's an incredibly humble thing to do. And this humility that Jesus just exudes in all of his actions is an example of the degree to which he loves his children. Because he did this to submit and obey the Father's will, but because he loves us. It's just stunning. So don't miss the prepositions. The prepositions sometimes show off Jesus' love for us. It's beautiful. So the, the, the other thing I want you to notice here is that the religious rulers here, they had some degree of authority, um, and they used it to oppress. They used it to silence. They used it to shut down. They used it to... Uh, quiet those who did not agree with them. And to that, I would just say, uh, God help us. <clears throat> God help us to not misuse the authority that he has given us, either in the church or in our homes or in our communities. Uh, we should be lifting. We should be encouraging. We should be speaking truth. We should be looking at the world around us through the filter of the scriptures so that we see as God desires us to see, so that we can understand the setting and the scene and what's going on. Because if these men 
had looked at their scriptures and had been desperately seeking for the Messiah, they would have seen that Jesus checks off all the boxes. Because there were, if you read through all four Gospels, there were a handful of people who really, truly understood that Jesus was the Messiah, that they got it. So it was possible. But these guys just pushed down and rejected uh, Jesus. So he was rejected by the elders. Uh, and this word is just the uh, uh, presbyterios. This is the, it's easily translated the rest of the New Testament as uh, elders that you would find in a church. Uh, it's another word for the pastors of a church. Um, and and I'm, So that, that is a, uh, Brandon, if you're watching right now, I apologize for the simplicity that I just used to, to translate that word. I, there's so much more complexity in that word. But in context, it was also used for the Israelite uh, Sanhedrin. And uh, I'll give you three different terms to go look up this week and to kind of study on your own. Um, I, I get a lot of questions about uh, what is this word mean? What is this term? How was this role used at this point in the New Testament? Um, and, and when you've come across words like elders and chief priests and scribes, that is a great opportunity to go and to look into a commentary or a study Bible for footnotes that would say, hey, here's what the Sanhedrin did. Hey, here's what the chief priests did. Hey, here's what the scribes did. Uh, because the Bible itself is not trying to document all of society. The Bible's point is the glory of God through the telling of the story of redemption, uh, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, both historical, uh, in person, uh, in the flesh, in the Gospels, and then the coming king in uh, the prophecy and revelation. Um, but the, go the Gospels are not trying to describe and define every job title that is shown. So what you won't find in the Gospels is a full description of what the Sanhedrin was. You'll find some mentions of it, you'll find some references to it, but it was written for the readers of that day to understand the life and the story of Jesus. So Mark wouldn't have gone into a lot of detail because his readers would have understood some of that. And then the chief priests and the scribes. So I would encourage you to go and to do a little research on these. We'll, we'll be circling back to these a lot as we move forward in Mark's gospel. Um, they, they play more and more significant roles the further you get into Mark's gospel. So right about now would be a good time to kind of dig in and go, let's do a little study, let's do a little research on these folks to understand what they, what their purpose was and as well as what their purpose was, how they acted outside of their purpose to try to thwart actually what turned out to be God's will for Christ's life. So uh, going back here, so we began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected uh, under the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Now, this is a fascinating word because um, it, it can mean to kill outright or to destroy. And we know that they, they uh, in, in a sense, destroyed Jesus's body from a mutilation, from a torture, from a just horrible acts of violence against it, uh, but they certainly did not destroy Christ um, because Jesus, as soon as he talks about the death, he follows it up right after that with, and after three days, rise again, or an accompanying three days, 
rise again. So there, there wasn't a tremendous amount of time that Jesus put in between the telling of his death and the resurrection, uh, which I love because Jesus got to the point that he was going to be overcoming death. Um, so then we get to verse 32, and he says, this is good. This is the imperfect tense, so he repeatedly says this. He repeatedly says this plainly. So he had to tell the disciples this, this, this what I just told you, the Son of Man must suffer uh, under the, the uh, elders and the chief priests and the scribes and must be killed and must rise again. He told them this multiple times. And if you think about all the things that the apostles would have really needed to have been grounded in, it would be helpful to know what was about to happen to their rabbi. Because the disciple had one job, follow the rabbi. You follow that rabbi and you do everything that rabbi does. You are to become like your rabbi. You are to do everything so closely. Like there was a phrase that that disciples would say to each other sometimes in the early days of the New Testament. Uh, it's not recorded in the scripture, but it's recorded elsewhere in the uh, apocryphal writings, not the, apocryphal, the uh, historical writings of the, the Jews. Uh, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be so close to your rabbi that the dust that he kicks up leading you gets on your clothes. Like that was a good compliment to be able to be had as a disciple. So they've got to be thinking right now, if the Son of Man is going to die and rise again, what are the implications of that for me? So be thinking about how they're going to interpret what Jesus says in light of what their job was as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. So he says this uh, repeatedly, uh, plainly to them. Uh, this word, uh, plainly, shows up several other times in the New Testament. I'll give you a couple of references to, to look up on your own here. I would give you uh, Acts 4.13. Uh, Acts 4.13 and then Hebrews 4.16, to give you a little homework. Hebrews 4.16. Uh, this word uh, elsewhere is translated as boldness. It's a, a clarity of communication that is so clear that it comes off as bold because it is crystal clear. And if you ever hear somebody waffle around and kind of dance around what they're trying to say, it doesn't come off as bold. But when you hear someone very clearly, distinctly state something as fact, there's boldness associated with that. So the word actually means blunt or plain, but it, it's associated with this concept of boldness. So that's how it's usually translated in the New Testament. So he said this to them, you could say boldly even. <clears throat> and then we get to... Um, And then we get to this next part of the verse, right? Because we just can't help ourselves. We just have to add something. Uh, so, and Peter took him aside. <laughs> Can you picture this for just a second? So Jesus is with his apostles. And Peter, he, he goes and somehow that takes him. I, in, in my mind's eye, and the text doesn't say this, so I don't want to tell you the text says this. But in, the, in my mind's eye, Peter kind of, well, let's just come over here for a second, Jesus, right? And so he takes him aside. Um, and the word actually for take aside means to, to admit to friendship or hospitality. So this was, this was a, a well-intentioned uh, thing from Peter. And if you want, this, I love this text because there's so many good examples that refute really bad uh, theological interpretations. One is prosperity is good. And one is, well, his intentions were good. 
Well, you can sin with good intentions. Let's just make sure we're super clear about that, right? So he took him aside uh, and began to rebuke him. And the rebuke is the present active, so this was a lot of rebuking. And this word for rebuke, uh, it means uh, to admonish or forbid it's basically him telling Jesus, you can't say that. There's a phrase in the Old Testament, I believe it's in the Psalms, and one of the, the phrases that God uses to describe the children of Israel is the apple of his eye. Now, when you go messing with uh, the nation of Israel, with, with God's people, uh, that's like poking God in the eye. And this is telling God, be quiet. You can't say that. These are, these, are, these are very bad things, right? So this is make sure all super clear that this was sin. This was not appropriate behavior for a disciple. Even if Jesus had not been God, which he was 100% God, but had he not been God, this would have been inappropriate behavior, behavior for a disciple to say to his rabbi. You didn't tell your rabbi what to do. And you certainly didn't tell your rabbi what the rabbi could not say. This is a problem. <clears throat> but wait, right? But turning, or he turns around, seeing his disciples. So Jesus is looking at all of them. So apparently when Peter was telling him this, there at least Jesus' back was to the disciples, the rest of them. So Jesus turns around where he can see all of them. In my mind, they're sitting over, they're standing over here. So he turns around where he can see all of them, and in front of all of them, he rebuked Peter. Because this was such an egregious error that they all needed to get. You don't tell me what I can and cannot say. That's not in bounds here. That's outside of the expectation. So he rebukes Peter and said, present active, so there's quite a bit of this, get behind me. Now, we'll end with this phrase and then we'll do a little bit of application and personalization. But this get behind me is a beautiful phrase. What I, what I want you to do is I want you to go back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1. Now, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20 real quick. So Mark 1, 16 through 20. So passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, this is Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, so Simon is Peter, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's interesting to note that the word for get behind me means to the back. It means follow and it's used in Jesus's first command to his disciples. And I love what Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's reminding Peter of his place. Peter's place is behind Jesus, not out in front of Jesus, certainly not filtering Jesus. This is something completely and totally 
not in the job description of a disciple. So this word forget is a present active imperative. It means to repeatedly obey this command. Get behind me and stay there. Get behind me and stay. Get behind me. If you've ever tried to lead little children somewhere, they sometimes don't like to walk in a single file line. And you might say, get behind me. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's reminding his disciples who they are, what their place is, who he is, and what his place is. There is a spectacular amount of theology being taught right here. So get behind me. Beautiful, beautiful words. <clears throat> and then he calls him Satan, which is a pretty big insult in the universe of theological words. So uh, we'll start with the word Satan when we come back next week, Lord willing, but let's do a couple applications and personalizations. Uh, the personalizations may have some familiarity to them. So here we go. Application point number one, Jesus is the son of man. So when you see that phrase in the gospel of Mark, that's Jesus, the son of man. Jesus is the son of man. So what do we do with that? Follow the son of man. Follow the son of man. Application number two, suffering and rejection were part of God's plan for Jesus. Suffering and rejection were part of God's plan for Jesus. So what do we do with that? We follow the Son of Man. And we acknowledge that suffering and rejection might be part of God's will for us. Okay. You mean I get to do something that, that my Savior did? Well, praise God that I can do that and serve in that way. Application number three, religious authority can be misused. Religious authority can be misused. That's probably the understatement of the day, but obviously religious authority can be misused. So what do we do? We follow the Son of Man. For those of us that have some type of a position of authority in our lives, we follow the Son of Man. We remember that we are subjects to the Sovereign. Number four, let's just be super clear here, rebuking God is sin. Rebuking God is sin. So what do we do with that? We follow the Son of Man. I told you there would be a similarity here. We follow the Son of Man. And the number five, disciples follow and Jesus leads. And this is our this is our place. This is our position. Disciples follow and Jesus leads. So what do we do with that? We follow the Son of Man. This is our job. So the question for us for me today that I've been asking myself the last few weeks is, am I following? Am I following well? Am I following consistently? Am I following rightly? Am I following with a pure heart? Am I following externally or am I following internally? Lots of interesting questions to ask about following here in this particular text. So with that, we'll uh, stop today's uh, Sunday School lesson. Uh, I do know that there has been some lag on the Facebook video, so this is going to be posted. Thank you, Dave, for, for mentioning that. Um, that's a great question, Mitch. Are we covered in Jesus dust in our walk with him? I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, there were some connection issues on my end this morning. Uh, so this recording will be available on uh, YouTube, Lord willing, in a couple of hours. So if you if you just struggled through this and you missed some things, just go back, watch it on YouTube. Uh, flip to the parts that you need to. It'll be good there. Um, yes, Dave, I think they were all doing it too. I absolutely agree. There's some things that he mentions in later verses that really solidify that concept. So I think you're right on. Um, all right, so... 
lean in, engage, uh, pray for somebody if you would that's not on the uh, that's not with you in the room. Uh, if you got any prayer requests, please put those in the comments. I'd love to pray for those. And then, uh, Lord willing, at uh, ten o'clock, the uh, Saudi Daisy stream will start. At eleven o'clock, the Chattanooga stream will start. And if, again, if you have any trouble with those. Uh, you should be able to uh, get a good, clean recording of them somewhere later in the day. So don't let that be a hindrance. Um, but, you know, God help us if a little bit of static or a little bit of lagging uh, is, is enough to deter us from the worship of the Lord. Like that, is, that would be an embarrassing thing. So uh, with that, we'll stop there. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys. I'm praying for you every day. I love you guys. And uh, follow the Savior. Love you guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.